In the vast skies of opportunity, pilots chart courses with precision, guided by instruments, training, and instinct. But beyond the horizon of the aeronautical lies another challenge, the intricate tapestry of finance. For every pilot, the journey doesn't end upon landing. It's about securing the future, understanding the nuances of investments, and crafting a legacy. Where do you turn when the charts and maps of finance seem as intricate as the schematics of an aircraft? Welcome to the Pilot's Advisor with Ryan Fleming, a first officer with FedEx on the 777 at the helm. On this show, we'll delve deep into tailored financial strategies, insights, and wisdom crafted exclusively for those who rule the skies. We'll help you navigate your financial flight plan with the same mastery you exhibit in the cockpit. Prepare for takeoff into a journey of financial clarity and empowerment. The Pilot's Advisor starts now. Welcome to another edition of the Pilot's Advisor. We have a familiar face that uh, is starting to show up from time to time here. Dave, uh, Dave Beffert, welcome to the show again. All right. Thanks for having me again, man. Man, we just yeah. jumped right in. So uh, my wife went to a 20-year Air Force Academy reunion last weekend. And of course, I wanted to come and kept getting asked by a lot of my buddies, hey, where are you at? Are you coming? Are you showing up? And of course, I had to take care of the kids. So I didn't get to go. And then the next thing I know, she's hanging out with you. Yeah. Yeah. Finally got to see Carrie after 20 years. So it's funny, man, how you see, you see people every day for like four years or in my case, five years with some people, because we were both management majors and, uh, and then you part ways and you don't see each other for 20 years, but yeah, man, it was, it was a lot of fun going back, seeing a lot. I think over half our class showed up and I'd say most of the people looked they were recognizable. Yeah. Right after 20 years, they look they look pretty good. Well, I so. definitely have to uh have some name tags because I thought about that. I'm I've missed my reunions, but I know I'd go back and be like seeing faces going, I know that person, but I don't know if I could spit out their name right away. Well, I got the yearbook out like the a week before I left and and went flipped through and and try to put names to faces again. Well, you're much smarter than I. I would have shown up and just, you know, made a, you know, what of myself on occasion. But, uh, but yeah. So if you guys don't know, uh, my wife Carrie and Dave were graduates of the same year, 2003, from the academy. So they're both back for the same reunion, ran into each other, which I thought was pretty cool. So we're recording this on a Friday morning, and every Friday I go have breakfast right before this, and there's this place called Strickland's, and. They have an awesome breakfast, okay. And uh, unfortunately, or thankfully, I'm a little on the taller side because I do, you know, I'm I'm up to two forty probably at this point. <laughs> Your BMI is still okay, being what six four, <laughs> six five. Well, anyway, the what I order now, they don't even ask me what I want. I, I call it the Fat Boy Special. So just bring, you know, because this lady, uh, this waitress named Amanda, that's there every Friday. And I go with Tracy Sweeney and some of the other guys. So it's kind of a tradition now, which is pretty awesome. And why I'm, you know, wearing this, she saw me ordering the kitchen sink for, I guess, I don't know how many weeks in a row. And she goes, Hey, I have something I think you might like. And I go, bring it, let's check it out. And so now it's kind of the tradition and I just call it the fat boy special. I don't even know what it's called, but it's good. It's just the, the kitchen sink with gravy on top. Now there's not gravy, but there's pretty much everything else on there. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very good, but it hurts. 
yeah. <laughs> not to get too graphic. It hurts. And you yeah. like anything else in life, you normally have to, uh, to pay the piper afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, you can't be in two places at, at one time. And unfortunately, you know, I was home with the kids doing soccer games and stuff while you and Carrie were out there having a good time at the Academy. Um, but there, there are ways, I guess, where your money can work for you in two different places, huh? Oh, wow. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. As soon as you say you can't be in two places at one time, the first thought in my mind was, well, you can't, but your money can't be. Is that, is that what you actually thought? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I thought. So I'm, I'm glad you led into that, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, there's uh there's absolutely, usually you only get, your money can only be in one place at one time. Right. And that's really all we're exposed to our entire lives is you can either do this or you can do that. What I love about this concept, you and I have talked about so many times, the infinite banking concept is it's a way where you can have your money over here and have those same dollars over there. So how, how does that work? Maybe for people who haven't listened to the, the previous episodes here is um, you create a, a specially designed life insurance contract where this is the first place my, my money goes. Once it's in there, it's going to be earning uninterrupted compound growth uh, for the rest of your life, even while you're leveraging it to put to work doing anything else you want to do with it. It's going to be compounding in the background while you're leveraging it to go to, to buy that next car, to go do whatever. Um, maybe you, you buy real estate investment properties. I talked to a lot of pilots and that seems to be a, pro, a pretty common goal for a lot of them is to own a few rental houses. So this is a way to put those dollars in two places at the exact same time. And I, I don't know many other places you can do that. That's what banking is all about, is reselling, re recycling the same dollars over and over and over and getting multiple uses out of them. Yeah, I think for so many years, I always talked about opportunity costs. You know, you could go and this is more like when we were all in our 20s, but you could save and put that money away and let it work for you for the rest of your life. Or you could go buy that other round of drinks or shots for everybody in the bar, and then that money's gone, gone forever. And 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 so talking about making a little bit better choices with your money, you know, because the time factor is the biggest factor. So that whole opportunity cost. But then when you start talking about this, it's a, it's a totally different story because you're talking about putting your money somewhere where it's going to work for you forever, but still being able to use it somewhere else. And you bring up banking and, you know, and I started uh, reading the cre uh, creature from uh, Jekyll Island. And well, it's a scary read, man. It is. It is. But that, that opening dialogue is, is amazing. If the entire country just listened to, to the opening dialogue of that book, they would understand what's going on in the banking system. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think as, as my life has gone on, you constantly try to get better. You try to get smarter. And, and I'm, I'm upset that I didn't really discover this um, well, well into my forties. And unfortunately, even as being a financial advisor since 08, 09, I always, you know, poo pooed whole life insurance. Well, then I realized this is not what this is and, and seeing the different tools for how to use it and really how it can take your uh, retirement planning and retirement income plan to totally totally different 
level, which is exciting to me and lower that standard deviation and have guarantees and so many things. But on a basic level, Dave, and of course, so our listeners know, um, I just put them on the spot. I don't, we don't even, we didn't even say what we're going to talk about, which I think make no. it a little bit more authentic, make yeah. it a little bit more fun. Um, see, he's shuffling already because he doesn't know what I'm going to bring here. I don't know what's coming, <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> but that, but that makes it fun. And, and I think that more people are going to listen because of that. But Dave, what I want to ask about is you talk about the first thing you do with your money, and we're going to talk about it on a very basic level. The first thing you do with your money is you run it through one of these policies, and then you take it to go do whatever you might do in life. Can you break that down for us and also really explain why you do that? Because as soon as you do that, your money is going to be working for you forever, and then you can go do what you're originally going to do with it. And the other aspect of that that's wild, not only is your money being in two different places, but the internal rate of return on your money actually gets really stupid if you if you break it down and can can uh, take your money and do better than what you're borrowing it back at. Yeah, broad, big question there. So why do I do it? I wanted to get involved in the business of banking. So one of my mentors, Nelson Nash, who who discovered this concept, and and exposed it and evangelized it to you know now the I don't know thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of people who know it now I don't know if we're up to the millions yet we should be we will be but uh he really describes the process of banking now that's a process and and banking occurs whether you're involved in it or not so I say everybody should be involved in it that should be your second job you should be in two jobs one that where you make your money and to the banking business. The, the process of banking has, you, you need a product to actually do the process. In my 13 years of experience, the best product I've ever come across is specially designed whole life insurance policies. If there was a better product to perform the process of banking, I'd use it. There's just, there's not uh, in North America anyway. Uh, you know, this is something that works in US and Canada. But why do I put my money there first? Like you said, once I once I put it there, and my premium creates cash value, that cash value is guaranteed to never decrease. And in fact, it compounds on itself every single year through guaranteed growth and dividends that the company pays out. So you got to use the right company, which, you know, fortunately I know, you know, the right companies to use, um, but they, they pay dividends and these companies have been paying dividends. How many companies do you know that have paid a dividend every year for 120 straight years? You know, through world wars, through you know recessions, financial meltdowns, COVID, doesn't matter. Dividends were paid, which means my money was compounding. Now I put it there because I understand opportunity cost. I hate the idea of taking my hard-earned cash, my hard-earned principal, and giving that away forever. And that's something I've learned about about wealthy people, wealthy families. I I have the fortune of being mentored really on a weekly basis for the last almost four years by a man who's, you know, would be considered a one percenter. He's, he never spends the principle of anything. His, his philosophy is never lose your face value. So to me, that means everything I earn from my active, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, I don't want to lose that. So I'm going to put that somewhere as much of it as I can. Of course, I'm not putting a hundred percent. That's it's difficult to do that. You know, you can build up to that over time, but as much as I can want to put that somewhere where it's going to be working for me forever. And now if I want to utilize it, I just leverage it and I borrow from the insurance company's pot of money and go do my alternative investing or even 
investing in the stock market. Like you can do both. You you brought up food at the beginning of this, so I'm going to use a food analogy because you'll understand <laughs> it. So <laughs> I like to call that. Have you, you go to Panda Express. You ever been there? I've probably eaten at every place. I like food. Yes. It's, it's, I, Carrie Carrie loves to cook, and when we got married, I had no clue that she was such a good cook. But it works out so well because I like to eat. Yeah, if she cooks, and then I eat. <laughs> you don't it say. <laughs> All right, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to get off on tangent on food. This isn't a food podcast, but I want you to use a food analogy. I love Panda Express, right? It, it's terrible for you, but I love it. And when you go there, you get a combo plate and they say, hey, do you want rice or do you want noodles? And I say, I want both. Give me half and half. They don't have that on the menu, you know, half and half. But if you ask for it, they'll give you both, right? That's what I consider this. This is an and asset. I can have... I, my, I can put my money here and I can put it somewhere else. I can get rice and noodles. I don't have to choose just one or the other. There's no you know mutual exclusion going on here. So that's the power of it. One, I don't lose the opportunity cost of giving away my cash ever again. That's going to work for me, earning, compounding in the background um, until the day I die, at which point my family gets millions of dollars tax-free given to them. And then two, I, I can leverage that and, and put it to work elsewhere and get multiple rates of return. I well, like the idea of multiple, not just one. And and wealthy families have been doing this for a long, long time. And that's where I think it's a little bit hard for me knowing the way I grew up. I got into this industry because I grew up very poor, paycheck to paycheck. And so I constantly wanted to educate myself on a better way, how to how to save my money, how to make my money grow, and and to discover something like this later in life and how powerful it is. Um, I don't worry about what the vehicle is that we're using to make it happen. I look at all the bells and whistles that it has and then what it involves. Um, and it's so hard because there's so many positive things about it. I've been trying to teach my clients about the overall strategy of retirement and how it plays into that. And then kind of digging back to the tactical side, like we're talking about now, but no, those are, that's my goal is to every dollar I make run it through a policy, and then go do what I want to do with it. Because there was something in Nelson's book that really spoke to me. You know, you could read a book and I read a book and we all see different things. You know, different golden nuggets is what I like to talk about will pop out at you. And and that's the value of reading a book over and over again is each time you read it, you might have passed over or glossed over something the year prior. And then it then it hits you in the, you know, that golden nugget hits you. And one of the ones that 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 sticks out to me they were talking about the average person and for the average person, every single dollar they make 30, I think it's 37% of it goes away paying somebody else with interest or a loan or, you know, whether it's a car payment, whether, whether it's their home mortgage, whatever it might be, 37 cents on every dollar is gone. Yeah. That's, that's hard to, uh, to accept until you look at, I mean, look at your income and and look at how much is going out in interest. If you have a mortgage, you know, and you started it within the last five years, the a, a whole lot of that is going towards interest. Probably what eighty percent of that payment going towards interest to the bank. Um, yeah, car payments, the the amortization schedule, which is what I mean. When I, I I bought a house in June, right? We moved in, and the amortization schedule come came up when I was going through all the paperwork at the closing table. And I just, I flipped through it as fast as possible. I'd already looked at it. I didn't want to see it again because it makes my stomach hurt. It hurts. You no, know, 
Yeah, it's disgusting. All that all that interest up, up front and not even barely touching the principal for years. For years. Right. So um yeah, that's that's uh research that was done. You know, this book is 23 years old. So the book you're referring to is Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash, uh the late Nelson Nash. But um I'd say that probably that that statistic probably still rings true um to the I, average the typical american i would argue and of course i have no data to back this up but with how much more credit card debt the average american has today buying buying stuff before they can really afford it i would argue that that number is probably higher today could be i think yeah credit card debt has has skyrocketed I think we probably hit a new high on the amount of credit card debt Americans hold. Um, and I mean, I just talked to somebody a week ago. He's somebody I used to be stationed with in the Air Force. Uh, he's not a client, but he called me up because he knows what I do. And he talked about a, you know, he's got a 29% credit card uh, that has has been paying, you know, his wife had been paying the minimum balance on that for years and years. And and it just came to his attention. Um, and he's like, man, this, I said, Hey, your number one priority is get rid of that 29% that you're, that's leaving your hands, you know, like you're losing so much more money than you're making anywhere else right now. So your number yep. one priority is stop paying that interest. So we, we brainstormed some, some things to get him on the right track. And, uh, I think he'll be okay, but yeah, that's painful when you see that that much money is going to somebody else. Well, it's it's very painful, and and what I talk about is I try to get. I'll have clients that'll bring up Dave Ramsey to me, and and what you just said rings true of what Dave Ramsey talks about. Go get rid of that high interest rate credit card first, right? But I want to get all my clients. We're not talking about people that are in massive credit card debt, trying to get on the other side of the hump. You know, we're trying to take it to a graduate level where you don't have credit card debt, and, and most likely. The only debt that you have now would be hopefully your home mortgage. But where do we take our resources and get them to work for us forever? And I got here because it's getting sickening to watch how much we pay in taxes. I mean, really bad. And if you have W-2 income, there's no place, there's nowhere to to hide. Okay. You're going to end up paying that money to the federal government. But where it gets different, where you have a choice is... Are you going to take those assets that you invest and, and defer them for the next 20, 30 years, depending on your age, and pay an amount that you don't know what the tax rate is going to be, or start making choices today to never pay tax on that money again? Like most people know that a Roth IRA is a beautiful thing, you know, that uh, that's good for them. Yeah. But most pilots also make too much money to contribute to a Roth. Right. So to to not get into too many details, but if you're you know if you're, you're you're hitting all the Roth money in your 401k and then you don't have a traditional IRA and you can backdoor some money into a Roth, where, where's our next pot of money for for tax never money? And there's there's not unless you're starting to discover things like this. It's like well, if you had a Roth IRA and you could put an unlimited amount of money into it, how much would you put in? Right. And and my answer was everything, but some people are like, well, you know. I'd put twenty thousand dollars in. Okay, well, whatever, whatever the number it is, it's the principle behind it. Yeah, and and uh, something as powerful as this, I wonder. You know, some people are turned off by the vehicle that we might be using, but everyone, no one has any trouble 
building up a bunch of cash in a savings account and letting it just sit at a bank. Right. They have no they trouble know, doing that. They know though, inherently there's something wrong with that. They're just not quite sure what to do about it. And the reason you're bringing up, you know, Roth and, and interest and taxes is because if you first put your money inside a, a, a properly designed whole life insurance contract, that money is never going to be taxed again. You're going to end up if you, you know, this is a long-term strategy, but over your lifetime, you're going to end up with far more cash value built up in there than you ever paid in premium. You're going to get everything you paid in plus much more back over your lifetime. And that gain is all going to be accessible, completely tax-free. And there's no, yeah, there might be limits to how much you can pay in premium, but they're way higher than a Roth. What can you pay in a Roth? Like six grand or something like that? Well, it changes with inflation, but 6,500 this year. And if okay. you're over 50, 7,500. You can easily put up to 30 for, for most pilots because of how much they make, they could easily put up to 30% of their income into a, a, a life insurance contract. And the insurance company will absolutely accept it. And it has nothing to do with the IRS code either. Like life insurance predates the, the IRS by over a hundred years. So this operates in spite of the tax code, not because of it, which is nice. So the difference between this and a Roth, other than one, you get to put in a whole lot more money into this. There's really no contribution limits. There's ways we can work around. You know, if you want to do 50% of your, your income, we can make that happen um, completely legally. Uh, but there's no contribution limits in that regard. And you have access to that capital. You talk to people about this concept all the time on a daily basis. And I think that's one of the the hangups is people think that if they're going to pay money to an insurance premium, that it's gone. Like they're gone. like yeah. like almost the same way it is when you put money in your 401k. Right. It's quote unquote gone because you can't touch it to your 59 and a half or retirement. But this isn't like that at all. No. Right? No, no. It 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 starts building cash value immediately. So you'll have access to that cash value within a couple of weeks of funding your premium. I mean, I'm talking to a, a, a guy that you sent over, one of your clients, you sent over to me and we're talking. He said, I want to have 50 grand available pretty soon to go buy a truck, but I don't want to buy it. I don't want to pay cash with it. I want to utilize you know, a cash value loan to go buy that truck. So that cash is continues to earn for me in the background. So now we're just designing a policy so that he can fund it and within two weeks of funding it, have $50,000 available that he can borrow against and go buy that truck. And so now rather than him financing the the, the car at, and paying interest to somebody else or paying yep. cash and losing the opportunity cost on all that cash for the rest of his life, we've taught him a way where he can let that money work for him for the rest of his life and he can finance that vehicle himself and get paid that interest to himself. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, he'll, he'll borrow the insurance company's money uh, to go buy that truck with cash. So he'll own the title to the truck. And now he just pays back his loan, but every, you know, he could pay it back on the same schedule he would have if he went and got a bank finance loan. So say it's going to be 600 bucks a month. He just now pays 600 <clears throat> bucks a month back to him, to his own loan. And guess what? As soon as he pays it back, that $600 is available for him to borrow out again. 
Attention aviators, when you've spent years in the cockpit managing the complexities of flight, isn't it time you navigated your retirement with the same precision? Introducing retirepilots.com. Right at your touchdown zone on our homepage, there's a beacon flashing, get my free toolkit. Click and you'll be cleared for a direct route to the Pilot's Advisor Retirement Toolkit, which is tailor-made for pilots like you. Inside, you'll find two important books, The Pilot's Advisor and Pilots Retire Early. Decipher the nine critical decisions when retiring before 65 and discover the seven lessons to help pilots land safely in retirement. But that's not all. This free toolkit is packed with altitude high value, including extras to get your retirement plans off the runway. When you order this free toolkit, you'll receive crucial tax planning information. You'll also discover ways to light the afterburners on your 401k, and you'll even earn a free portfolio analysis. So captains and first officers, don't let turbulence disrupt your golden years. Start your descent to a clear, comfortable retirement Vector on over to retirepilots.com to grab your free Pilots Advisor Retirement Toolkit. And let's embark on this journey together. Retirepilots.com. So Dave, you, you, you flew at the airlines for a little while and then decided to take a different path in the business world. And, uh, and I understand that I think choices would be a little bit different if you didn't have your own 401k you know, or if you're doing like the, you know, a SEP IRA or something like that, where it'd all be tax deferred. But I know you've made the decision to, to almost exclusively use this concept with your, your lifestyle and, and your retirement planning. Can you give us a little background on, on your thought process with all that? Like, like obviously any airline pilot out there, they're going to, you know, continue to do their 401k. They're going to continue to take all those B fund contributions that, that their company gives them. I mean, it'd be stupid not to. But outside of that, why have you made the decision you've made? And can you give me an overall concept of what you see? Yeah, outside of that, the, the number one reason I made this decision is for control. I think as as pilots, we're all we're all basically control freaks to a certain extent, right? I mean, if an aircraft, um, you know, if you're sitting in coach, you're deadheading or something like that, uh, heading back from a trip. And the oxygen mass drop from the sky and the aircraft noses over and starts screaming towards the ground. Like, do you want to be sitting in that seat and coach, or do you want to be sitting at the controls? You want to be at the, the controls. I think every, any pilot worth his salt would want to be in the cockpit, flying that thing, pulling that out of a dive and, and saving the day. Right. Um, that's the way I feel about my money. I want to be in control of as much money, uh, as much of my capital as I possibly can be. Because when I'm in control, I have access to opportunities. And, and some of those opportunities for me have come in the form of career changes. So I, I left the Air Force in 2014, you know, the 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 nest of Uncle Sam, you know, getting a <laughs> paycheck every every uh, the first and the 15th. You know exactly what's coming. You know your future. You know you're going to be taken care of. And I left that for corporate America. I did that for a couple of years transition to real estate, then transition a couple of years later to flying and and this business. And the reason I was able to make those transitions is because I had access to my own capital if I needed it to fall back on. You know, I knew my family wasn't going to starve. Um, I knew I, I had enough to, to live on for a year if I didn't make any money in the new endeavor. 
So and you didn't have to go ask ask a bank for a loan because when you have capital built up in a policy like this, you have all the control and you don't you don't have to fill out any paperwork really. You just say, give me my you know, give me a loan against my money. Collateral. Yeah, I have this much available. I want this much. Put it in my bank account and don't ask me any questions. So if you had a you just bought a new house and and granted is it a brand new house like a new build yeah, or is it a it, new build okay yeah. so good so well they'll still they'll still be projects like let's say you have some oh, projects so many projects man there's there was no gutters on this house I had to pay for gutters I had to pay for <laughs> curtains and blinds on the, that's a business you should get into that business man <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got to put a door on my office um, yeah so. So all the little details, but if you knew that you had a bill coming up, that's going to be $20,000 and you still had premium left, you know, or, or PUAs, which, you know, if you don't know what those are, keep listening over time and we'll, we'll teach you all these concepts, but you would definitely, you'd run it through your insurance policy and then borrow collateral right back to pay the painter, the door person, the, is that what you're saying? Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, I, I was in that situation recently where I've got, all of my policies, I paid the premium on all of them. I repaid all the loans in the last year. So they're all maxed out. I can't put any more money into them. And now I'm I'm continuing to pile money in somebody else's bank right now. So I I didn't see that problem soon enough because that is a problem in my eyes. I would agree. Yeah. I didn't see that soon enough. So I was behind the eight ball. I had to go get four new policies for, you know, four of my kids. And, you know, it's create policies and, and pay the premium on those so that I could get that money in there before I had to take it out to go pay the guy for the gutters and, you know, the, the blinds and the closet organizer and all the stuff I'm going to have to pay for um, that if I pay with the cash that's sitting in somebody else's bank, that cash is gone forever. Yeah. And that, that idea makes me sick. So when you own a, uh, a business, most people pay estimated taxes, you know, whether they do it quarterly, monthly, what have you. And something that I've started doing is I just, you know, do as I say, not as I do type. Um, I'm not doing that. I'm putting all my money in the policy. And then when it comes time for the tax guy to come around, now granted, I'm going to have to pay a little penalty because I didn't do estimated taxes. Yeah. But I'm going to pay him out of my policy and then just start refilling it again. And that way, my money's always working for me. Oh, yeah. I'm the same. I don't pay estimated taxes. I I do quarterly payroll because I'm an S corp, but um, anything above that I don't do because the penalty is less than what I can make on my money right now. So I'm happy to pay the penalty. I extend my you know my tax payment every year until you know October or whatever it is until you finally have to pay for the previous year, um, and I'll pay the penalty because it's worth it to me to have access and to keep my capital as long as possible. Well, I'm a little bit different because I have so much of my money tied up in the market because I know what the market's going to do long-term. However, we 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 obviously have to deal with that volatility, you know, and you pay, you pay the percentages. I mean, three out of every four years or four out of every five, how you want to look at it, the market's going to be up. So in most cases, if you hold your money as long as possible and let it work for you, you're going to win. Um, obviously there's going to be years that you lose. You have your money invested in the markets down yeah. 20% like it was last year. Well, guess what? I chalked up a big loss on, on holding my money and not paying my taxes that year. But but the far majority of the time you're going to win. And so that's that's something that I do a little bit too, where 
I'll run all my money through a policy and then still invest it in the market. Yeah. Well, and it, this allows you to be a better investor, in, in my opinion, because you can think more long-term. If you have access, if part of your portfolio consists of this, this type of asset, where you have access to this cash, you know it's there whenever you need it, you can be a better long-term investor and not get so skittish when the market starts dipping and you're like, oh, I got to get my money out of there or, hey, I've got this big bill coming up. I, I, I need to liquidate some stocks for it for those who invest with you know after-tax money um, on, on top of their, their pre-tax contributions. Um, this just allows you to be a better long-term investor because you can let that stock market ride and, you know, the the roller coaster ride because like you said historically it just it keeps climbing over time but you never know when that dip's going to occur and if you need money at that time well hopefully you have money somewhere else that you can go to instead of having to take it out of the market so and, and that's what i love about this because it's always available there for me for emergencies and opportunities well absolutely and there are two things that i thought of while you were talking about this and i know you know it's almost like we're sitting around just talking about our experiences but it's good so other people can think about the the thought process um i don't think i'll ever invest in any fixed income ever again because my fixed income portion of my portfolio is going to be this pol these policies because it's guaranteed to never lose value yeah. and so what that does is it drastically lowers the standard deviation of your overall portfolio. And you talked about being a better investor. Not only does it start solving for legacy planning so that the government's not one of your major beneficiaries, um, but taking advantage of opportunities. You can let your money in the market just do its thing. And what I find is I've built up all this cash value that's created a, a nice, healthy death benefit should anything happen to me. So my my family's protected, but oh, by the way, the market just had a 10 or 20% correction. I have all kinds of dry dry powder on the sidelines right now to take advantage of that opportunity. There you go. That is an opportunity. And if you didn't have available capital, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you know, buy the dip, as yeah. they say, right? So I know a lot of people, a lot of my buddies during during 2020, when everything tanked, they were they were taking cash value loans and going by and buying individual stocks. That Everything was fifty to seventy percent off. It was a fire sale, right? Yeah, I was I was having some uh, you know looking up and studying and then talking to some of the great investors that are out there, and it's so funny because human behavior, when there's blood in the streets, that's when they run away. You know, they're scared. They, there's there's a lot of volatility in the market and they want to get away. But what 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 some of the the concepts were is that's when you make most of your money. You just don't realize it. When there's blood in the streets, that's when you go buy. The mentor I mentioned, the the one percenter, he was he he's got to he's got to be a, a one because we're all one percent one percent. Yeah, any airline like pilot's a one percenter. He's got to be one one hundredth percent. There we know, go. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, he's he was an investment banker for. He's been in investment banking for decades. Uh, he said, "There's no market crashes. There's only market panic." So it's so true. Yeah, there's only market panic. So if you don't panic, you'll be fine. Well, and and the the ones that really went out are those that ignore their emotions and they don't they don't make short term emotional decisions. And they wait. Yeah. This is all. This is like when when there's a, there's been a uh, decent correction in the last two months in the market, and all I see is opportunity. 
Yeah. You know, I'm not looking at what's happening right now. I'm going up oh, time to make some more money because I'm going to buy at a discount. Yeah. The only reason you see that opportunity is because you have available capital. You Absolutely. have access to capital. If you didn't, you wouldn't see the opportunity because you wouldn't be looking for it because it wouldn't matter. So how do we get to the point where every single, say I'm an airline pilot and obviously I'm going to put my contributions into my 401k and that's going to come out before the, my money hits my checking account. But once that money, that after-tax money hits my checking account, how do we get to that point where we are putting every single dollar that we earn through a policy first. This whole um, becoming your own banker is a process. You know, first you start where you're at. You start with something manageable yet meaningful, and I help people determine what that number is. You know that that premium amount, um, and then you get comfortable with that, and you see that oh, I can do this. This is simple. Uh, it's not complicated at all, and I really like it because I see the advantages, especially the long-term advantages. Every year it gets better. Then you you get more confident and you start putting more money in there. You know, you get every year you get a pay raise, right? A new contract comes out, you get a big back pay, or you make captain or you switch airframes, go to wide bodies, something like that. So you're always gonna have the opportunity to make more money. Now you've got a plan for as soon as I get that pay raise, this is where it's going. And you just add more policies. You can have as many policies as the 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 company will will allow you to have based on your human life value, how much death benefit they'll allow you to have, right? How much insurance. And then you can get policies on your wife, on your kids. I got seven kids. They all have policies. I think it's hard for some individuals to see that just because you're putting money in a policy, that money's not gone. You can actually put money in the policy and then still use it like weeks later. Anybody who's been in the, the airline industry for any number of years, um, you talk to any of the the older captains, you know, anybody listening, talk to the older captains you, you've flown with, how many times have they seen disruption in the industry where their pay went down, where they got furloughed, something like that. Guess what happens? If you get furloughed, you think the bank is going to let you access the equity in your home? You think they're going to say, sure, you can have a HELOC and borrow our money, you know, and pretend it's yours. Um, even though you aren't making enough money to pay it back. No, they're not. As soon as you have a job, they won't even give you a HELOC. Oh, no. They'll only give you, banks only give you money if you don't need it. So where are you going to get that cash to survive and to weather the storm? Well, this is the perfect place, in my opinion, because that cash, it's working for you, it's earning for you, and it's available for you whenever you need it. It's absolutely true. And just those comments you said at the end there, I have so many different things I want to talk about. But as I always promise my listeners, I try to, you know, pilots are busy people. I try to keep it between 20 and 30 minutes and we've already gone over that. But all that yeah. tells me is, Dave, I know your time is very valuable, but we're going to have to keep having you back on the show from time to time to talk about some of these concepts. All right, man. My pleasure. Anytime. Yeah. And I, I try to, you know, I talk to a lot of my clients now and I say, I know that this is in your best interest. I just need you to be able to see it. I need you to educate yourself just enough to where you'll, it'll finally hit you. It'll be that it'll be that aha moment, but it takes a little bit of reading and education and understanding how this works. Uh, do you have any comments on that before we go? It's caught, not taught. So I'm not going to be the one to to be able to sit down with you for hours and teach it to you. You have to catch it yourself. So read that. Start with reading that book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Um, pretty soon, I'll have a landing page you can direct people to with some videos, some 
you know, educational videos that uh, kind of get them a, a base level of knowledge uh, and then schedule time with me. You know, let's talk. Let's see if this is good for your situation. And and if so, we can move to the next steps. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't matter on what level. I mean, if you're in your 30s, it might be a different conversation than if you're in your 50s or 60s and we're truly looking at retirement planning or estate planning or any of those other things. Uh, it's never too soon. And probably the mo- the earlier you start something like this, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Like anything in life, earlier, the better, but it's never too late to start. The best time to invest is right now. Yep. No, okay. 20 years ago was the best, but <laughs> right now is the second best. Well, yeah. thank you very much for your time. As always, we look forward to having you back on the show. And yeah. uh, I want to I want to hear you always end some of your shows with some cool quotes. I want to hear one of them. Hey, control your capital or somebody else will. All right. Take care. Have a good one, partner. Yeah.